0: Calling me into to service to serving him, and um, I said, Alex, this is what I hear the Lord saying: If you will be faithful to God in little things, He will make you master over big things. I said, This is what I want you to do. I want to see you in church every single Sunday for the next year without fail. And uh, she got plugged in, and God has taken her, and her, uh, she and Jake, and um, doing, been doing a great job with the youth. Amen. And uh, Seth and Rebecca's coming on board, and we've got exciting things happening in our youth department. Amen. Second Sam, if you found your place there, chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There was two men in one city, and one was rich, the other was poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and it drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man. And he spared to take uh, of his own flock and of his own herd and to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, "As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel: I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house thy master's wives, unto thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if it had, not been, if it had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou dis- despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight, Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore... The sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house and will take thy wives from before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbors. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion unto the enemy of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not. Neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, And he would not hearken to our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? And when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. And David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house and he required that they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, why, did you, uh, why is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me, and the child may live? And now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her. And she bare a son and and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet. And he called his name Jedediah because of the Lord. Now, I preached on this sermon the first time probably ten years ago. And the Lord he gave me a message uh, in that, that I think it's it's helped people uh, off and on. And uh, the Lord just laid it on my heart this week to preach that message again. Because everybody in this room has dealt with a loss or with some kind of a, a, a devastating situation or some type of grief at some point in your life. And if you haven't, you probably will at some time. And uh, when you do, a lot of times it can be very, very depressing um I, i'm reminded of a comedian that I, he's a i'm a big fan of his he was called the mouth of the south his name was jerry clower how many of you ever heard of jerry clower and i tell his stories a lot of times about the ledbetter brothers that was his cousins it was arnell you wl odell marcel clovis eugene and claude and they all lived in yazoo city mississippi well, Uncle Percy was their father. It ain't Bet it was their mother. Well, Uncle Percy had this coon dog named Highball. And he was out coon hunting one night. And Highball was chasing his raccoon. And he caught it just as he hit the railroad track. And him and that coon was fighting. And about that time, the train came along and it hit Highball and killed Highball, his best coon dog. Well, Uncle Percy got there before his son Marcel did. And Uncle Percy was sitting in the railroad tracks crying. Marcel got there and said, Oh, come on, Paul. He said, don't be crying because Highball's dead. He said, we got pups out of Highball's going to be just as good as he is. He said, boy, I'm not crying because Highball's dead. He said, well, why are you crying then? He said, I'm crying because I I was afraid Highball might have died thinking that coon whipped him. But Uncle Percy was depressed. Sometimes we get depressed. David was depressed. He was dealing with the loss of his son. Now, many of you probably, and maybe all of you know the story, but David was the king, and instead of being out in battle with his army, he was at home on his rooftop. And he looked out and he saw this beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop, Bathsheba. And he sent and had her brought to him. Well, she was a married woman, so he committed adultery with her. She comes back later and says, We got a little surprise coming. So he sent to the army, had her husband brought home so that he would sleep with his wife and he could uh, let everybody assume that the child belonged to the father, her husband. Only Uriah was an honorable man and he wouldn't go in to his wife. He said, is it right that my comrades are in battle laying and sleeping in tents and I am with my wife? It's not right. So he slept outside. So the next day he gets him drunk thinking he'll go in drunk and sleep with her and still he wouldn't. So he sends Uriah into battle with a message for the, key, for the, for the general. And the message said, set the, uh, the army in array against the enemy. Put Uriah in the front. And when you get in the heat of the battle, have the whole army retreat and leave Uriah there by himself. So he basically had him murdered. And that's when um, he thought he had, he had everything covered up. That's when Nathan the prophet came to him and told him this story and says, you're the man, David. Because you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite and you've slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. And then he tells him all these things that's going to happen to him. So David a—he is in the deepest level of sorrow we can probably imagine. I think the most unnatural thing for a parent to ever experience is the loss of their child. It's not natural. For you to outlive your children. And and that's the kind of thing that we don't even want to think about. That kind of thing. But he's having to deal with the loss of this son. Not only that. But he's having to deal with himself. Because who is to blame for this? And he's laying there on his face for seven days. Knowing that I have sinned against God. And so he's having to deal with all this guilt and shame and all this condemnation that he's bringing on himself. It would be one thing to have lost your child, but it's a totally another thing to know that it's all my fault that this has happened. But David got through this. And the message I want to bring this morning is that anyone can get through the loss of well, whatever it is. You know, this is a story about the loss of a child, but sometimes you can lose a friendship. That can just devastate you. You lose your job, your career, or maybe one day you wake up and you're getting really old. And you feel like life is over and you basically have lost your life and all your dreams. And there's a lot of things that can devastate you and throw you into a tailspin, into depression. We go through all kinds of different disappointments. And this message today, I think, can help you find the road to recovery. So I've titled the message today, The Road to Recovery." Let's pray before we go into the Word. Father, today, Lord, I just feel like you've placed this on my heart for somebody here. Lord, maybe other people that maybe they're going to go through something in the future, and they need to know these steps to recovery. And so, Lord, I pray that you will just get this message across to the people that need to hear it the most. Lord, may we can hide it in our heart, Lord, so that at any time, Father, we experience disappointment or setback, Lord, or loss. God, we know the steps that we can take to recovery. So, Lord, I pray this morning for the anointing of your spirit to come, Lord. Help me preach this word with your your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, psychiatrists have identified five steps to learning how to deal and live with loss. Um, It's important to note that not everyone goes through all of these steps, and there is no pre-described order that you go through them. But dealing with setback, it's as unique as your personality. Everybody deals with things differently. Some things that devastates one person, it won't affect the next guy. You know, so we deal with things differently. If you get somebody, for example, that's really easygoing and they kind of take life as it comes, you know, they're going to deal with that in a different way than somebody that's very passionate and they just let everything out, you know. Because if you're going through a hard time and you're very introverted and kind of easygoing, laid-back kind of a guy, what you're doing is bottling it all up. You're a ticking time bomb. Because it's like blowing up a balloon, brother. You can't put so much air in that thing, and it's going to pop on somebody. Amen? Usually you blow up on somebody that didn't even deserve it. But then you've got the other guy. He's very passionate. He just lets it out on everybody. He's grumpy all the time. Because he's just depressed and he's just down all the time. He's just letting it out on everybody all the time. Actually, that's healthier for him. It's not so good for the guy that's getting it all the time, you know. But especially if you've got to live with him. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes it's a learned behavior. Sometimes it's the environment that you grow up with. You have to understand the symptoms of sorrow, though, if you're going to find a way to be happy again, to have a joy-filled life. And so I think it's good to look at these five steps of their normal steps of grieving process. It's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance is usually the five steps. If you go through a healthy cycle of how, how you deal with loss, the first one is denial. It's the stage of shock when something has happened or when the reality of something hits you. You know, you've lost something, whatever that might be. In David's case, it was the loss of a son. It's when something overwhelming happens and it seems like life just suddenly becomes meaningless. Some of you may have experienced that. I have been through stages in my life where things like that have happened. It's just like, what's the point? Life really doesn't have any meaning. Now David is laying on his face for seven solid days fasting. It's pretty obvious he has had the wind knocked out of him. He is very depressed. He's in the depths of sorrow. And in in moments like that you wonder if you can go on. You wonder if you even should go on. Because there's nothing in you that wants to go on. You are totally devastated. But denial actually is a good thing. Because it's a safety mechanism that's built into our system. It's, it's a type of self-preservation. What denial does is it only lets in the things that I can handle right now. So you basically just shut down unknowingly, unwillingly. Now as that subsides, then you start the questioning process. But what really is happening is unknowingly you are going through a very natural healing process. Because you have just been hit by something. And at first it's denial, but then the true feelings of what has happened begins to soak in. And we don't always deal with those things, like I said, the same way. Uh, We have different emotions when we go through that. But the the emotion that we're most familiar with... And the one that we are most familiar with how to deal with it is anger. So typically that is the the second uh, step in the process of dealing with grief or with loss. Uh, So we know how to manage that anger. And um, as we're going through that, it really, it, it doesn't have any limits to it. I mean, it can extend to everybody depending on your personality. And even the guy that's passive, when he blows up, usually it, everybody's getting it. You know, I'm one of those guys, by the way. I'm, I'm a passive type person. I push it down and push it down. And when the bomb goes off, brother, it is ugly. And I had to actually learn through therapy that anger is a good thing, that expressing your anger is a healthy thing if you do it the right way. You know, you're, it's all right to be ticked off about something and it's all right to admit that you're ticked off about it and deal with it you get it out i I learned that anger is an energy that has to be released because it's very unhealthy to put hold that in it's unhealthy for you but there's a healthy way to do that you don't want to just go off on somebody you know i've learned to go work man i can get a lot of work done when i am ticked off I think my wife learned that a long time ago. If she needs something done around the house, she'll tick me off, man. I'm out there, I'm getting that energy out, you know. I used to have a heavy bag, but I'm getting too old to punch bags now, man. I'd be punching and kicking that thing, and I was just huh. you can go chop wood, you can get a pillow and scream in it. It helps. That's healthy. You know, Jesus was angry. He didn't bottle it up inside. He went into the temple, brother, and he went off. Amen? Come on now. Isn't it true? Turn the tables over. He went out, sat down, and premeditatedly made a whip to take with him. Went in there and beat them out of the temple, the Bible says. Love, Jesus is my man. You know what I'm saying? So the anger's not a bad thing. It's how you... Deal with anger, that is, you've got to watch out for. Make sure that you don't extend it to people that don't deserve it. Your friends, your employer, your co-workers, somebody that you love. You can be angry towards yourself. Come on, you've got to practice forgiveness, even for yourself. Are you hearing me, church? Some people are angry at the person that has died. Why did you leave me? How could you do that? I went to a funeral of a very close friend of mine and we're at the funeral now. He's been dead for 3 days or whatever how long it was, 2 days, 3 days, whatever long, long it takes to do the funeral. She was mad at him. He had gone out in the he was an older man, he'd gone out in the hot sun on a like a record hot day, had a flat tire on a big truck and he was changing it by himself and died with a heat stroke. And she was mad because he did that because he wouldn't go get help you can be mad at god you can be angry with god and a lot of people are angry with god and you don't know it you won't admit it because it that doesn't sound right to be angry with god i mean you don't pick a fight with god if you do you might wake up dead you know i mean he wins kind of dumb he's going to fight god you know but can i just tell you god understands he knows you're mad at him whether you admit it or not, so we need to understand what anger is and how it works. We think that anger is something bad, but actually, in this case, it is not something bad. It's actually a strength, because what anger is doing in this process—you—you've been hit with something that's overwhelming. Your life doesn't mean anything anymore. What anger is doing, it is taking that feeling of nothingness and putting something in its place. Anger. It's better to feel anger than to feel nothing. Because when you're in denial, you feel nothing. You're numb. You're overwhelmed. You just don't feel like going on. And then it gradually, as it begins to soak in what's happening, you get angry. It replaces the feeling of nothing with something. Anger. And so it's actually a healing process is taking place and you don't even know it you're angry most of the time because you the feeling of helplessness I can't do anything about this and that's what I, I believe in my case has made me angry more than anything else the next thing is regret or bargaining you see, it's it's when I, it's when you say I would do anything if and we're trying to begin to bargain with The situation with ourselves. It's when the reasoning process begins and we begin to analyze. There's a problem with this because guilt is usually a companion to regret. You know, it's when all of the if-onlys and the what-ifs begin to come into our mind. We want things to go back to the way they were. We want our loved ones restored again. We'd like to go back in time. If I could have just found the problem sooner. If I could have just stopped the accident from happening. If I could have. If I would have. If I just would not have. And all of those thoughts are going through our mind. The regret is the if only's. It causes us to think what could I have done to prevent this? And so because we we turn it inwardly and we start asking ourselves, what could I have done? Then guilt begins to creep in. And we, we get this feeling of, it's my fault and I'm, I feel guilty and we turn it inward. All the undone things, the unsaid things, the things I wish I had done or the things that I did or the things that I said. You know, we go through all of those thought processes and It brings regret, and it stares us squarely in the face. Reality is looking at us, and because of that, the next stage is depression. So we go through denial, we go through anger, we go through the bargaining, regret process, and then we enter into depression. The problem is many people never get beyond that place. And it's the danger of this process. A lot of people get stuck right there and they live their life there. And there's a big, there's a great danger in that. It's when the weight of truth causes a deep, empty feeling inside of our soul. And grief enters, enters into our life and it robs us of life, it robs us of our joy. Now, I believe that David went through these emotions while he's laying on his face those seven days. Because. He had not lost his child yet, but he knows the word of God. And when God said, I'm taking that boy, it's done. So it's just as if he has already lost this child and he's laying on his face for seven days fasting. Going through this process. Deeply, deeply depressed. Now, it's important to note that depression is not... A mental illness. It's often seen as unnatural. Something that needs to be fixed. Something that you need to snap out of. But depression is a natural response to something that has happened. To some type of loss or some type of grief or some type of devastation. What is unnatural is for that to happen to you and you don't feel depressed. So it's very natural to go through this process and to become depressed over what's happened. We see that all through Scripture. There were some very godly men that dealt with depression. Job was a depressed man. I mean, he lost everything. And he was depressed. We see Elijah, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. He called fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel. He said, it will not rain until I say it rains again. Three and a half years passed. It didn't rain a drop until he said it rained again. And then here comes Jezebel and threatens his life. And he goes running off out into the wilderness. Sitting under a juniper tree and says, I may as well die. I'm no better than my fathers. And he's sitting there all bummed out and depressed. And he finally goes a little bit further. And the angels of God, took, man, that's a good message right there. I could preach on that. They took care of him even though he was bummed out. I better be careful because I, I preached a message on it one time and I could take off on it right now because that's an awesome message, how God will take care of you even in this stage. Isn't God gracious and merciful? He really is, church. He really, really is. Man, I wish I had time to preach them both now. But he, Elijah's sitting there and he, he gets in a cave and God said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he sends him back. Now I, I better get off that or I'll be preaching the wrong sermon here. But there were depressed people. Martin Luther, the great reformer, dealt with great bouts of depression. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in in modern history. I mean, there's books like that thick on his sermons, dealt with depression. David was a depressed man. And if the road to recovery is a process, then depression is one of the steps in that process. We go through denial. We go through anger, that feeling of helplessness. I can't fix it. We go through the bargaining, the regret, the if-onlys and the what-ifs. And then regret just grips you and then you go into depression. Because grief has entered in. What do we do then? We learn to accept what has happened. And in verse 19, they came to him and said, yes, the child is dead. He's dead. And so then we go into the last of the fifth of this, what the psychiatrists say is the the process of healing, into acceptance. Now, acceptance is often confused with being okay with what has happened. But acceptance really just means facing reality and adjusting to a new normal. It doesn't mean we're okay with it because I'm going to tell you some things that you lose in life, you will never be okay with that. You know, I'm not okay with my father dying. I'm not okay with my in-laws dying. I loved my father-in-law. I loved my mother-in-law. I'm never going to be okay with that. But you learn to accept that that has happened. I can't do a thing to change it. So I have got to make an adjustment so I can live with the new normal. And that's what acceptance really is. David showed us how to accept and how to adjust the fact that he has lost his child and it's his fault. And so he gives us some steps. I'm going to real quick, I'm going to give you some steps on how you can get on the road to recovery. Number one, 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 23, it says, but he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return unto me. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to get a firm grip on reality. This has happened. There is not one thing I can do to change it. Can't change it. I have got to accept what has happened. It's not because it's okay, but it's what happened. And I have got to face it in a very honest way. Because it's now a part of my life. And I do still have life. Amen. Come on. You still got life. And it's the most precious gift you have is your life and time. What are you going to do with it? You know, it's wrong for me to take that precious gift and sit around and waste it feeling sorry for me. Amen? I'm not trying to be hard, but really, isn't that true? Be a very selfish thing to waste the most precious gift God has given me and sit around feeling sorry for myself. I can't do anything to change it. But by God's grace, I can rise above it. I can live with joy again. And you need to understand that. That's what really acceptance is. I can live with joy again. I'm going to get beyond this. With God's help, I'm going to get beyond it. Number two, get up from your bed of sorrow. It said in verse 20, and David rose up from the earth. Because you're no good to anyone as long as you lay there in that sorrow. And if you say or somebody or inside your thinking, you say, this is just, I'm overwhelmed by this. I can't get up. Church, let me tell you, that is the lie of the enemy. He came to steal, to kill and destroy. And there is nothing he would love better than to keep you in a state of depression all your life. Did you know one out of four people in America is on a mood altering drug because they cannot deal with life? Let me tell you something. You can deal with life. And you don't need dope to do it. Amen? Come on, I'm telling you. Jesus Christ can help you. If you will learn this and put this into practice, Jesus can help you. You don't need help from a doctor. You just need Jesus in your life. Amen? Don't believe the lie of the enemy that you can't get over because you can. It may take time. But you will get up and you will live again. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you have to, listen, you have to pick yourself up because nobody else can do it for you. They tried to get David up and he said no. And he laid there for seven days refusing to let them pick him up. But after this was done, he had gone through this process, he picked himself up. And he got up off of the earth. He got up out of his bed of sorrow. Nobody else can help you. If they could, they would have already. They would love to help you, but nobody can do that for you but you. The third thing is you need to be cleansed from your shame. It says in verse 20, David rose from the earth and he washed. Washing is a sign that the old thing is gone and the new is here. And Jesus, brother, if he puts your sin as far as the east is from the west never to be remembered again, if he put it under the blood, it's gone. You need to be cleansed from that. From the shame, from the guilt, from the, all the what ifs, all the if I would haves and all that. You need to be cleansed from that. Romans 8.1 says there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. You're not condemned. Stop condemning yourself. First John 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, listen, if Jesus cleaned me up, and I'm implying that I'm still dirty, that would be an insult to him. Amen? I'm I'm calling him a liar, in essence. No, Jesus said, I'm clean, so you need to just be cleaned from the shame. Refuse to live under the shame of your past mistakes. Begin a new way of thinking. Put negative thoughts out of your mind. The Bible says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination. Start thinking different. Think positive. Brother Jesus, I'm I'm on the winning team. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. All that stuff is behind me. And you may find somebody, and it doesn't matter what kind of life you lived. You may get down the road and you've been a, just a, a, a terrible person all of your life. And you're living under that burden and under that guilt. And people won't let you forget it. Alright? No, that old person, the Apostle Paul. You know who wrote Romans 8, 1 and says there's no condemnation? Paul, who murdered Christians. And he, he writes in one place, I have wronged no man. I remember hearing a preacher preach on that one time. He said, wait a minute. That is a lie. You stood and helped the coats for the men that stoned Stephen to death. How can you say you've wronged no man? And he said, the spirit of the Lord rebuked him. He said, don't talk about my servant like that. That man died on the road to Damascus. The apostle Paul was a different man. So yeah, maybe you've made a lot of mistakes in your life and you've really made some bad choices and you can't forget it and people won't let you forget it. If you come to Jesus Christ and he puts that under the blood, that old person is dead. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. And you need to live in that and walk in that. Brother, I did some stupid stuff. But I don't live in that anymore. That's the old man. He's dead, brother. Nailed to a cross. Hallelujah. And now I just take up my cross every day and walk with Jesus. It's a good life. Tell him you you ought to try it. Amen. Number four. Make yourself presentable. It says he got up, he washed, and he anointed himself. He anointed himself with oil. You know, they they must have used Vitalis. Some of you know what Vitalis is. Come on now. My time. It was a commercial. Brill cream. Brill cream, a little dab of do ya. Brill cream, you look so devil now. I remember my daddy always gave us a crew cut, brother. You know, you'd rub it and it feel like sandpaper when you first get from the barbershop. I was 10 years old before he let me, because it was a sin to have long hair, churches I grew up in. <laughs> Come on. I remember the first time he let me grow it out and I let it grow that long. Man, I, I took that vitalis and slicked that thing down, boy, and I had that thing... This is back in the Fonzarelli days, you know what I'm saying? Well, David did that. He put a little vitalis on and said he anointed himself. What's he doing? He's he's getting up and changing his appearance. He's changing the way he thinks, the way he looks, the way he presents himself. Brother, you need to rub on a dose of Jesus every day. Are you hearing me? You need to rub on some Jesus every day says in Isaiah 61, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has, the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to those that are captive, to open a prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the visions of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, and to give unto them the beauty of ashes and the oil of joy for their mourning. If you're grieving and mourning over some loss, some devastating thing, brother, get the oil of God's joy and put it on your life every day. Man, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, it, it's, it's not good to live in just down and out all the time. You should have joy. Amen? God wants you to have that. And, brother, so I tell people just rub on a dose of Jesus every day. You'll be all right. Amen? he will make you more than a conqueror. The way that others will receive you depends on how you present yourself. If you're walking around like you're defeated all the time, that's the way they're going to receive you. People don't want to hear all of your living in the mully grubs every day. No, live like you're victorious. Talk like you're living victorious. Act that way. It's not a show, it's not putting on. No, I am victorious. Don't live in defeat. I'm a winner. Present yourself as a winner, not a loser. Present yourself as somebody that has worth. You're not worthless. You have worth. You have strength. You're not weak. You can do something for Jesus. You can do something for yourself. You don't have to walk around guessing all the time. Well, I guess so. No, I know so. Amen? Not because I know it, but because I know his word. And his word said so. And there is nothing that supersedes that. And so you can know. He said he anointed himself. The fifth thing you do is put on the garment of praise. It says in verse 20, he said he got up, he, he washed himself, he anointed himself, and he changed his garment, it says. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Woo, man, that makes the devil so mad. Especially when you're depressed. All right? Now I could shout and praise God right now because I'm happy. Amen? Get to worship team up there. We can have a good time in Jesus. But boy, when my wife has just ticked me off. When I'm under the pressure or when something has gone wrong, just the other week, man, I I told you all last week, I've been going through a little bit of just burnout, you know, and I'm getting over that, but I was just mad about everything. And I'm down in the shop working. It's kind of my prayer closet. I got down and I was doing some stuff and, The words of my own sermon was coming back to me. I hate that. You know, and the song Amanda sang, or whoever sang thanks a lot. I'll worship him in the storm. Do you sing that? Who sings? Which one of them sings that song, Hunter? I will praise him in the storm. Come on, think now. Huh? All right, it's on the radio then. All right, you're off the hook, boy. I was going to get you. And that came into my mind, and I, this is what I said: I feel like cussing somebody out. I don't feel like worshiping. But I found this out a long time ago. You praise Him in the storm, and you watch what happens. And I, I just, I, and even in the shower, just begin to worship Him. And I don't remember what song I sang. I used to have one just ready. Because I used to go through some real struggles with that. And I just had what it was like my quick draw, brother. When I start, I just pull it out and just start singing it. And it, it works every single time. Every time. You praise him in the storm and see what happens. And, it's, and Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3 it says, the garments of, You put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You hear me? If you're feeling heavy, that like spirit is on you, put on the garments of praise and see what happens. Just go on and praise Jesus and make the devil mad. Because it makes him mad. He, he thought he had you, but he done lost you again. Woo. Come on, that's good stuff. Now, you ought to be in that. Now, anger and sorrow and depression is not a sin. It's a natural process. But if it becomes your identity... If every time you, you, you're talking about life and it's always how bad life is, that's your identity, then that, in my opinion, is a sin. Because it shows a lack of trust in Jesus to restore you to a place of praising and worshiping God, even when things are bad. The baby is still dead. Seven days ago, he lost his son, and it was his fault. That's not enough time to get over that. But he's showing you how to get on the road to recovery. He got up from his bed of sorrow. He changed his garments. He washed himself and he went into the house of God and began to praise the Lord. Because, brother, when you start praising God, God inhabits the praises of his people. Brother, his presence will come in and it will just overshadow you. And it changes the way you feel. It changes the way you see life. I told you the other week about my good friend, brother Nathan Grooms, and I I had a conversation with him. He's telling me about his wife and what she's going through. And through our whole conversation, he kept saying, but the Lord has been so gracious to me, Bernie. God has been so good. And I said, Nathan, you are the strongest man I know. How do you do that? And he said, Bernie, God just showers me with his grace. He showers me with his grace. See, he's praising God in the midst of all of that you got to put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lay aside. The old song said, lay aside the garments that are stained with sin. Be washed in the blood of the lamb. Make the devil mad. Praise God in the midst of your problems. The sixth thing is to start eating a regular diet of the bread of life. Verse 20, it says, and they came into his own house. And when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. Can I tell you something? You can't get in this book and read every single day and stay depressed. You can't do it. If you'll get in there and eat a daily helping of the bread of life, you will not live in depression. Number seven, recognize that you can't help dead things, but you can minister to the living. Verse 23, but now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return unto me. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. You see, there was somebody else hurting over here. David's laying there. It's all my fault. He is in the absolute deepest place of sorrow I can imagine a man being But he got his eyes off of himself. This thing is dead. My son is dead. It's not a thing. My son is dead. What can I do? Is it going to do me any good to fast? Can I bring him back again? No, I'll go into the heavens where he is. I will go where he's at. But he's never coming back here again. I can't do anything about dead things. Church, you need to let that go. You can't do anything about it. But there's a whole lot of living people. That you can help. He stopped thinking about himself. And he started thinking about his wife Bathsheba. Who was also hurting. She was probably hurting. Because she's lost her child. I mean come on mom. Going through childbirth. And then seven days later. Losing that child. That I mean. You can't imagine. You can't imagine. Unless some of you have been through that. God have mercy on you. I pray for you if you did. But there is a ministry. For you. You don't have to look very hard to find someone that could use your help. Something that's living that could use your ministry. The last thing, number eight, you will be fruitful again. It says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. And she bare a son. They called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. See, a lot of times we think because things are devastating, I'm so devastated. You think you will never get beyond that. But there is a process that you need to go through. It's a healing process. If you've never gone through something like that, I'm so happy for you. But someday you might. And I just felt the Lord is to bring this to you this morning and show you some steps of how to deal with this. Or maybe you can help somebody else deal with that. But you need to know that no matter what happens, you can be fruitful and will be fruitful again. Amen? Amen. Worship team, we're going to get up here and praise the Lord. That's the way we're going to end this this morning. Because we need to praise Him, amen? No matter what's happening. Praise God. I want us just all stand. We're going to have a worship song of some kind. Give me something good, guys. And uh, then I'm going to open the altar if anybody needs prayer this morning. Maybe you've been struggling with something. You just want to just lay it down. The altars are open to you. We'll be glad to pray with you. But listen, the message this morning is mainly not for what somebody can do for you, but what you can do for yourself, all right? And I hope that God gives you the strength to process these things in a very healthy way and to know that God, brother, God is for you, And whew. amen? I don't I feel giddy inside, I, is that wrong to feel that way after a sermon like that? I don't know. It's exciting to me to know that Jesus is going to help me through every situation. Do you love Jesus? Come on, really? Oh, God, Amen. I believe that, Nancy. you got the joy of the Lord on you, girl. Yes. I remember the day that girl got baptized in the Holy Ghost. she come in here from a Joyce Myers conference, and my goodness, she was a mess. <laughs> she was tore up now, I'm telling you. I was trying to talk to her. She couldn't talk. I mean, all she could do is pray in the Spirit. Amen. And then Jane, change. brother. has been full speed ahead and steady as she goes ever since that. Amen. Amen. Well, you're an inspiration for all of us, Nancy. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.